Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by Alan Davis of Nuhera and Andy Bellavia. So why don't we go around real quick, introduce ourselves, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, starting with you, Andy. Thanks again, Dave, for having me on the show another time. I'm responsible for marketing and business development for in-ear products for Knowles, actually everything that is not a regulated hearing aid. So I'm responsible for hearable devices, which is, of course, what we're going to talk about here, as well as communications headsets, uh, music earphones for professional musicians and audiophiles, and the like. And I'm also a connected hearing aid user, so I'm getting a a real good sense of what it's like to live the uh, 24-7 mixed reality audio lifestyle, and that's got me thinking a lot about where all this is going from uh, that sort of ambient voice point of view. Love it. Alan? Yeah, my my name's Alan Davis. I'm the head of product development at New Hera. So New Hera is a, a hearables company. We're, we're a bit different to the other hearables company. We focus on hearing hearables. So our products are very much about hearing technology. And, and we have a development team situated in Perth, Australia that, that build those products. And I, I lead that team. Fantastic. Well, thank you two very much for joining us today. Andy, great to have you back as always. Alan, thanks for uh, for joining the pod for the first time here. I think this is going to be a great conversation. Um, you know, Nuhera has been a company that's obviously been on my radar from the start. Uh, you know, ever since I started this blog, it was one of the um, you know, kind of the the great successes of of what was happening in the hearable space. And uh, so I've had a chance to get to know David Cannington over there. I know he's sort of like the the podcast face of of your company. Um, haven't heard you on a podcast before, though. And actually, when I reached out to David, he pointed me to you and he said, you need to get Alan on because Alan's really the brain behind uh, the products that we've been releasing. And, and I just thought that um, this would make for a really great conversation. So I wanted to bring Andy on as my, uh, you know, resident uh, hearables expert companion. Um, I think that the two of us will help to steer the conversation, but really want to hear from you about, you know, I know that you've been with Nuhera from the start. You've been there over five years now. I guess that's as long as you guys have been in business. Um, And, you know, it's just, I think, such a cool success story that you're a small startup out of uh, Perth, Australia. Um, And, you know, when people think about hearables today, it's like, you you know, obviously you think about AirPods and you think of some of these gigantic trillion dollar companies and the offerings that they have. Um, But you guys have actually been there from the start. You've been there before all of these other entrants. And like you said, you know, you focus on hearing hearables. You you focus on this hearing health uh, type kind of intersection between consumer tech and the world of amplification and the medical device side. And and I think you've walked a a really interesting tightrope between those two. So as we kick things off, excuse me, um, share a little bit about what the whole genesis of Nuhera was like. I mean, how did you even get connected with David and Justin? Um, And then also share with us about uh, that initial vision. What was it that you all saw that you felt that you had a different kind of approach that maybe was novel and unique to the market at the time? 
Yeah, thank, thanks, Dave. Uh, yeah, I have, I have been involved with Justin and David since, since pretty much the start of the company. Um, Ju Justin and David uh, used to work in another business that developed hearing protection devices. And I, I actually was involved with them at that company. And, and we worked to do very smart hearing protection to help people, you know, keep their hearing and not lose it. Um, so, so sometime after that, you know, they, they approached me and said, hey, we're looking at doing something like this. Would you be interested? So I kind of said, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's, let's do that. And I, I kind of joined in, in that way at the really, the really beginning of the company. Um, but but uh, David and Justin are really interesting guys. They're, they're very dynamic. And, and Justin himself has some hearing loss. So uh, they're very passionate about help, helping people and really passionate about trying to um, you know, create things that can help people in their everyday lives and especially in the hearing space. So there's a really, really good um, kind of history and background there. I, I think what we kind of realised early in the early days of the company was that um, there's, a huge, there's a huge unaddressed group of people who, who could certainly benefit from hearing technologies, but they're not getting them. Uh, and, in, and in some ways, and this is going to sound really strange, but, but, you know, your traditional hearing aids are kind of a bit discriminatory. They're really only, only purchased and, and bought by people who have really high levels of hearing loss. At least that's how it was five, six years ago. And so folks wouldn't buy hearing aids until they really reached a threshold that it was a must have. You, you kind of had, had to do this. So folks were not getting help early that they needed. And we, we looked at it and we thought, well, you know what, it's pretty obvious why. Um, firstly, they're expensive. Secondly, they're actually difficult to purchase. So if you want to go out and get a hearing aid today, I don't, I don't think any of you would be able to do that, right? There's actually a process you need to go through and, and it's quite difficult to get hold of, hold of these devices. So there was a really low convenience factor and a really high cost. So the barrier to entry was really high. The other thing about hearing aids is, you know, at least at that time, they were really focused on just hearing. So kind of single dimensional devices. And we, we wanted to provide something that for folks who had different levels of hearing loss. And we thought there was um, certainly something we could do there where we could um, build a product that had uh, a different complexion. So it had things like uh, phone calls and music, right? So it had extra value points and also provided hearing assistance to, to those folks. And that's what, we, that's what we kind of set out to do from the beginning. Yeah, I'm gonna jump in here only because um, it's, it's funny you talk about, you know, everything involved in people waiting too long for hearing aids and so on. Mm. It's actually when I tried the early new hearers and also the early Dopplers, I took them both into one of our favorite and insanely loud restaurants and gave them a try when I was with my family. And as I got them tuned up and working, like, wow, this is really nice. What I didn't quite acknowledge to myself at the time was that my hearing was sinking. And a few years later, it ended up getting to the point where I had to go get full hearing aids. I and, mean, you know, at the point where I couldn't hear my spouse talking if her back was turned to me, you know, that sort of thing. And I was probably halfway down that journey when I tried those devices. And, you know, I, I always thought that if, if 
I had been on that path five years earlier, I would have been the poster child for a new hero user for exactly that reason. In the years when a loud restaurant was murder, but in the quiet, I was okay. And so I think it's really spot on that kind of use case it is a way of getting people acclimated to, uh, you know, hearing uh, augmentation without riding that seven year journey, which is, you know, often quoted in my case for sure. Yeah, there's a real, there's a real, you know, those things have been researched and those numbers are really well understood, but we really felt that hearing devices didn't offer value for people with lower levels of, of hearing issues, right? There's just the value proposition isn't, isn't there for them. The price is too high, the convenience is too low. And yeah, so, so folks don't, folks don't go for it. And you, you can't, you can't underestimate convenience factor either. So, I mean, in, in Australia, we have like kind of tap to pay now. So you can tap your card and pay and people do that, right? So that rather than just inserting your card and there's that's just seconds of difference, but those little convenience factors kind of take over and they, they provide, they, they really make a big difference. And so the ability to set these devices up yourself and buy them yourself and they actually have extra value points is really important part of the new hero value proposition. You know that you, you can't yeah you can't underestimate some of those things in those pro in the products yeah absolutely and the other thing you mentioned is the accessibility issue and it's interesting because i just listened to a podcast with dr nick reed of johns hopkins and he dissects in detail all of the all of the reasons why hearing aid users have kind of piled up on the high income side of the spectrum you know, he talks about the price. He talks about, you know, all the steps involved in getting a hearing aid fitted and yeah. how that affects people who live far away from an audiologist, right? Income and racial disparities. He takes it all apart very nicely. And what it says is there's a segment of the population well served by hearing aids. And and I'm one of those. I'm past the, the hearable stage at this point and you know having a true hearing aid and an audiologist to help keep them fitted properly is very valuable to me but there is that whole segment of the population who either doesn't have access doesn't have the income or is in that mild to moderate category that's really underserved right now and i would highly recommend that podcast if you want to for any of the listeners who want to explore that avenue of hearing care uh, but i really kind of talk about these things as a way of setting the table for New Hira's journey and how New Hira got to where they are today and how you see New Hira servicing the mild to moderate uh, category in the future. Yeah, and, and you know, with, with the products, we started out doing, you know, very much a very PSAP kind of flavoured product with some preset settings and we launched that on Indiegogo. And I remember Justin and David saying it, it had to be wireless because <laughs> I, I was building it. We're like, wait a minute, that tech doesn't really exist at the moment. How are we going to do that? <laughs> but, but we found a way and, and, you know, the NFMI technology was what, what we chose in the end. And that was kind of the most viable option at that time. But uh, yeah, so we, we kind of set out and built our first product and we launched an Indiegogo campaign and that was really successful. I think it was a lot more successful than we, we thought it was going to be. And, and it really told us there's, you know, you know, we can reach that group of people and we can uh, have a, have a great solution for them. And that, that the, the original IQ Buds product was one of our most, you know, one really well received by people out there, but uh, what, what we realized over time and, and Andy, I'm, I'm sure you'll, 
you will have kind of learned these things over your travels, especially in the in the music industry and things like that. Um, you know, the general the general public doesn't have a good audio vocabulary. Um, they don't understand dBs. They don't understand frequencies. Uh, things that uh, might might be obvious to to um, some of us in the industry around you know ear tips and getting the right ear tip. Um, pe people aren't good at self-selecting an ear tip, right? So, and it's not obvious um, how the ear tip you need to use um, is related to your body. It's not like a shirt size, right? So you might be a big person, need really tiny ear tips. So that was some of the really early learnings on our product and the ear tip and, and the way you, you seal the ear canal and deliver the sound can have such huge impact on the actual uh, audio, audio performance of the, of the products. And that, that was some of the learnings we had from the first, you know, the very first IQBuds device. Yeah. Yeah. So question I have is, you know, as you guys were setting out and you started to build and obviously this first iteration, you know, you were uh, leaning on NMFI technology and like that protocol. And I'm just curious, like what were, what was that development cycle like for you? Like what were the things that um, you realized, okay, if I'm going to have to have a product that is serving this use case of, you know, for mild to moderate hearing loss, um, <clears throat> but I'm going to have it in packaged in a wireless device that is going to be priced economically, um, you know, like clearly you were given a whole lump number of constraints. And again, it's kind of hard to even think that like in five years time, how much we've progressed in, in a lot of the underlying technologies, um, which make things so much more feasible. I mean, five years ago, I think you were really, really limited. And so I think that you kind of were on the cutting edge with how you were able to create something that, you know, based on all the parameters that you were given by Justin and David, um, can you just speak to that first product that you all built with the IQ Buds? What were some of the most challenging aspects of it? And then like, kind of like, what were some of the breakthroughs that you all had in terms of product development and how that may be carried over into the future generations as well? Yeah, I think uh, they, are, they are incredibly difficult devices to design. And it's, it's because they're so multidisciplinary and you have to be great at everything. So you need to be great at DSP, right? The signal processing in there. You need to be great at acoustics. You need to really understand anthropometrics and the ear, the human ear. You need to understand microelectronics. You need to be able to write software to run on this, so embedded firmware. You need to be able to write an app that people can use. Uh, and you have to kind of do all that well simultaneously, and that makes them incredibly difficult products to design and they're, and they're tiny as well. So they're extremely low power, but power, power levels you won't, you know, that, that were kind of unthought about prior to that. So those things all, all kind of culminating make it so difficult. And, and the hearing aid industries tackled that by doing their own chips, right? So they make their own ASICs and they've, they've got really good at that. They've got big teams that, that do those things and they've got their own IP that they've built up around, around those platforms. But um, the, there's a real, maybe convergence, but there's real inflection point happening that's driven by, uh, you know, the mobile devices around the world. That's meaning that it's driving microelectronics and signal processing and, and these sort of things, even microphones and, and right down into the lowest levels of power usage. And they're becoming kind of generic. So 
small company like ours could access some of the top technology and actually build it into the products and build something that could be, you know, semi-competitive with other devices in, in a short, really short period of time. So I think that, you know, what's happening in the wearable industry has just driven that and created this, this kind of space and the, the technology uh, kind of background that allows you to, to really um, build these products. I always laugh when people say hardware is hard, you know, and, and makes people shy away from it, right? Well, of course, hardware is hard. But if, if, if some didn't tackle the hardware issues, we'd all be pushing wheeled carts around, right? So my question is, is what did you do differently where others failed? What did you do differently that allowed Nuhira to succeed where others failed? Yeah, Nuhira has always been focused on hearing. And we've never pivoted from that. We've never strayed from it. We always knew that's what we were about and what we wanted to do. And so we, we've just had a very strong focus on hearing. I think other folks you see kind of some of the other hearables companies either just didn't execute or had pivoted from through different ideas. Uh, but, but New Hear has really always been very focused on, on, um, on delivering for hearing. And, you know, we probably it's just good timing for that as well because there's changes in the hearing space and there's new technologies that are enabling that. And, um, and also I think it's just that discipline around that focus that's helped us, helped us, you know, survive and thrive. So when you had the, you know, the IQ buds, um, clearly you guys were successful with that and then you moved on to the boost. And then today we have the max. Um, can you kind of walk us through how you guys got to the max um, and, and through the boost and then where we're at today, because I do think that this form factor today is pretty unbelievable. Um, it's priced on, I'm just amazed at the way I think it's only $250 or something like that retail. Um, and there, we haven't even talked about the app yet, but again, another aspect to your offering that I think is just really, really fascinating. So can you kind of walk us through like what that, what that's been like as you guys have been iterating into these new uh, products and, and what are some of the things that you've all learned along the way um, as you've gotten all the way here to the max? Yeah, I think, I think the thing we've really learned is just about the customer. Uh, so at, in the, in the early stages, our, our first product, the IQ Buds product um, was quite manual. So there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of control for the user. You could change the balance. You could set, you could kind of use uh, preset EQ curves and you could change equalizers and things like that. But it was a real manual process. And we learned that the customer really doesn't have a good vocabulary. They don't know how to kind of choose a setting for their ears and how to get that right. So what we, we learned that early and we started developing uh, the next product called Boost pretty early on, which was going to take away that kind of confusion from the user and make a process where we could actually evaluate how they hear and then self-adapt the product to their hearing. So it was a lot about usability and a lot about bringing in extra kind of features and functionalities to drive the user experience. So we, we worked really hard on that. We worked with um, a really great research organization in Australia called National Acoustics Labs, uh, NAL. Uh, and we, we kind of contacted them. And, and Australia is funny. It has a real rich hearing history, actually. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, it does, right? There's, there's a lot of great hearing companies that have come out of Australia, like the uh, cochlear implant was created here. And, and now over in Sydney, they created the world's most 
prevalent fitting formula. Uh, so for, that, for those who don't know, um, once you measure someone's hearing, uh, you need to translate that into kind of settings for a device and, and that fitting formula tells you how to do that. And there's two main fitting formulas in the world, but uh, we, we were obviously worked with the Australian invented one. Uh, and to, to do that, so we built into that second generation of device a, a hearing, you know, we call it a hearing calibration, but a way to measure your hearing and adapt the device to your hearing. Uh, and we used the world's best fitting formula for that, which is now NL2. And we built that into our app and our earbuds and no one, no one in the world had ever done that. I don't even know if people have thought about doing that. They might have, but um, we, we were very much the first to, to take that leap and build in what is really world-renowned hearing technology. And NL2 is amazing. It actually uses a neural network to do all that, believe it or not. So it's a, it's a real incredible technology piece um, that, that was created here. So yeah, it was, it was very much driven. That, that evolution has been driven by the customer and, and that's always our focus. Um, we work really hard on getting a lot of customer feedback and we try and build that into our roadmap and build that into the products that, that we create for people. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, so I was going to just say, I remember when I, uh, when I, I was at a trade show, you know, when the boost had just come out and I remember I was in this, you know, like little session room with David Cannington and he's showing me the boost for the first time. And he was walking me through the hearing calibration and he's telling me about how, you know, you all had collaborated with the National Acoustics Lab, which is really, like you said, there's two formulas that most hearing aids are fit on. And, uh, you know, this is the most prominent one um, in North America. So, you know, it's, it was just shocking to me almost like, wow, this is incredible that you have this device that is infused more or less with, uh, with this formula in the calibration test. Um, you know, it's, it's really legit. And, and after you're done, it calibrates those earbuds for you. And, and for me, that was um, kind of a jarring moment where it, it was like the realization that these new age devices that are very much sort of consumer tech oriented that have a focus on the medical side um, were, were really kind of materializing in the market and, and were legitimate. And I thought that the industry, you know, the hearing health industry, needed to be aware that these types of offerings were now starting to kind of make their way in, into uh, the market and that they were really positive in my opinion. I mean, I think that as you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, you know, this uh, treating that end of the spectrum, right? If it's a spectrum of hearing loss that goes from mild to profound and severe, um, I think that you're probably pretty right that like it's pretty heavily slanted toward the right end of the spectrum. Like, the more severe side. And to Andy's point, you know, you've had years and years of people that are um, just neglecting, you know, to, to do anything about it because they feel as if they're not warranting the level of, uh, you know, whether it's the different things that you have to do in order to get it from an accessibility standpoint and the highest price, high price point that has commonly been associated with, um, you know, hearing solutions. So I think that, when I saw that, that was sort of the big aha moment for me. I remember it very clearly and thinking to myself that this is a, this is kind of the dawn of a new day. And uh, I, I, I still think it's a very, very positive development. I think we need more companies that are 
really trying to tackle that end of the spectrum so that you get more people to be treating this earlier so that you don't have people like Andy that neglected it and then they waited and, and it just was a gradual deterioration when maybe he could have preserved better, you know, levels of his hearing for longer. And, you know, we never, we never built these devices to, to be competitors to hearing aids. We have people write to us all the time saying that I've, I use this more than my hearing aid and stuff like this, right? But that, that wasn't the intention. The, the products were always um, to support the hearing industry, right? And to bring uh, folks into hearing devices at a much earlier level. And, and really hearing aids were never going to do that. Um, and but but no one was really trying to trying to build something for for those folks. So that that's really what we set out to do. Yeah, and we had great we've had great feedback on them. Yeah, in in uh, Justin when he did his webinar with the NAL a couple of months ago, he said explicitly he thought devices like this would increase hearing aid sales, and yeah. I tend to agree with him. You know, people are walking around with hearable devices in their ears for longer periods of time and. And you know, using increasing functionality, you know, including voice assistant use, and you know, more audio consumption. And so, you know, my feeling is as people start to wear these devices in their ears more often, dialing in some hearing augmentation is just a natural step. And of course, you start then on your hearing journey sooner. Now, question I have for you is, you know, in present day, your device included, you're more or less providing hearing aid-like functionality by, you know, uh, running a hearing test and then applying the NAL NL2 uh, fitting algorithm. On the horizon, we see things coming more related to uh, ML speech extraction from noise, like Facebook Labs talked about doing that, and I think that they were running it on a headset. Uh, it's Whisper who has the separate brain box doing it, and Chatable's running uh, an iOS app to get that done. Do you see that as having a future in the, this era of mild to moderate uh, hearing loss? Uh, and how do, how do you kind of see different technologies for helping people understand speech and noise? Uh, which ones will be successful in the years going ahead? Yeah, f fascinating question. Um, so I can certainly speculate. Uh, we're probably, you know, we might be seeing the last, the last of the traditional signal processing engineers being trained now. Um, we might be seeing that. It might all become machine learning based in, in the future. And, and but, you know, there's probably power, um, power challenges there today. So it's probably not quite ready for prime time, but, but it might be in five years. I don't know. Um, I've, always, I've always thought that, you know, the human brain is, is a pretty, pretty amazing um, neural network, right? So, um, how how could you how can you do things better than better than the brain? So, he hearing aids try to uh, you know address a mechanical issue or, or otherwise or a nerve issue or whatever with the, with the brain. So it helps to provide you know extra extra sound levels when your ear isn't picking up sound like it used to. But I've always been a bit skeptical that you could design a neural network that could do better than the brain unless you had extra microphones. So if, if you do have those extra microphones, you might be able to, um, you know, do things that the, that the brain can't really do. And, and that can really bring forward um, things like understanding speech and noise and, and stuff like that. But the other, the other powerful thing about machine learning models is they can kind of create information that wasn't there uh, based on whatever it was trained on. So you've seen, 
you would have seen these type of demos where people are showing a black and white film and then they colorize it, right? So it's kind of created information that isn't there. It looks fine to the brain. You look at it and it looks okay and, and you accept it. And I think you might see those sort of things start to happen in, in audio as well, where you can just kind of ex extract and, and create information and you can hear it and understand it based on those models. So I think there's a big future in ML in, in hearing devices. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really exciting times in the future. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating um, to, to think about. And I agree with you. So going back to the whole notion of um, the chipsets, right? So you mentioned that you have hearing aids by and large are using these ASIC chips. Um, and then like your product uses DSP chips. And I know that you have a really strong background. This is what you got your doctoral in uh, was digital signal processing. So this has been something that I've um, tried to better understand myself. And I think the listeners would really benefit from. So can you kind of walk us through the, some of the core differences between these types of chips and then what maybe some of the limitations are, uh, you know, traditionally with digital signal processing chips versus the ASICs, but also what some of the opportunities that they also provide as they mature as a technology themselves. Yeah, I think, I think there's a trade-off there and, and there always is in the hardware silicon land where you can kind of trade off hardware for uh, software and flexibility. So those digital signal processing chips are, you know, highly configurable and highly programmable. You can make them do all sorts of different things and, and you can really configure them in software, whereas ASIC's a little bit more fixed. So they're going to do things like your filter banks and, and some processing in hardware instead of in software. Uh, and that limits you more to changing parameters than it does to actually writing different algorithms and being creative with those things. So that's that's how I always understand and think about the differences between the space. Uh, but over over time, those DSPs, those programmable ones, the general purpose ones, have really come down in their in their power usage requirements. So I remember when I started out, I was programming um, Texas Instruments C55 DSPs, which are really kind of popular audio. DSP from 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 a long time ago, um, but the power requirements nowadays are you know so much lower. And again, that's been driven by you know the mobile phone industry, people putting big DSPs in there to do um, you know audio pickup for phone call processing and things like that. And that that's really happened over the last kind of ten years that that those things have come about and are accessible, um, so that companies can use them. But uh, we, we think DSPs can kind of going to be the route that's going to win in, in the long term, uh, having, having those um, kind of programmable devices just because the upfront um, development cost of the ASIC is so high. And then you're, you've got, you know, you, you definitely um, get rid of some of the flexibility with those devices. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we, we have kind of a ground level view of the advancement in the DSP technology. I, I think back a few years ago, we would talk to, hearables companies and say, you know, all hearing aids use our balance armatures because they consume so low power. And that's why, you know, it really increases the life of a hearing aid. And people would tell us, well, the DSP is consuming so much. What the speaker is doing matters not at all. Uh, but in a modern DSP, we're actually seeing it. We've had at least one company explicitly, you know, 
tell the life difference between a unit using our balanced armature and a unit using an ordinary speaker, which really points to the fact that the DSP power is going down and down and down. Uh, because the speaker powers, you know, are relatively constant, but the DSP power is going, going down and down. And so then you see other things, you know, taking effect. Now, the question I have for you is, you can see the day coming when the DSPs will run with all the processing power you need and will last at least 16 hours. How is that going to affect the hearing health industry in general? Where today, a hearing aid relies on a very customized ASIC to give the battery life in a discreet and comfortable size. But what happens when an ASIC is no longer required? How will that not only drive the hearable industry, but how will that drive the hearing aid industry, in your opinion? I mean, it's just going to open up massive innovation and just reduce barriers to entry in, in that industry. To, today, you know, if you want to go into the hearing aid industry, you need to you need to pick up a hearing aid chipset uh, just just for the battery life because you need to you know battery life's really important to people and. The other thing about a hearing aid is it's an all-day wear product. I don't know if people really understand that, but hearing aids are designed to be worn all day, whereas products like ours are designed to be worn just situationally. You just wear them sometimes. Uh, so hearing aids have really tight, you know, they need to last, like you say, 16 hours, um, and they need to be running all, all that time and doing great stuff with the processing that full 16 hours. So. I think it's going to really level the playing field and maybe that's one of the big advantages that the hearing aid companies have they obviously have their channel and their experience and fitting you know fitting software and all sorts of things like that as well behind them but in terms of the device uh once once you hit that 60 you know you can hit that 16 hour life with programmable dsps and i think i don't think that day is far away uh then it's going to really open up the market for other people to bring devices out yeah that's that's how i see it yeah that's really fascinating to think about i mean to think of like you said if it's not that far away that's always been one of the big um sort of counter arguments is like well these things they only can last for five hours or six hours and then you know you had all the different companion charging cases that came about and uh you know so you just pop it in there you get a quick charge and so it kind of circumvented that a little bit but you know, now that we're graduating into these levels where the DSPs are, um, I guess, power savvy enough uh, and, you know, able to preserve its battery life so that it can last upwards of 12 to 15 hours. And that to me is where things are getting really, really interesting. These are conversations that Annie and I have had a bunch of times on the podcast is like, you know, this whole notion is kind of just shattering in, in before our eyes where um, you can get a low cost device that performs really well, that, you know, is suitable for uh, upwards of a moderate hearing loss. Um, and it, uh, and it can last for 15 hours a day. I mean, those were all three of those things, I think, were sort of the like, uh, the preconceived notions that existed of like th this will never work because you have to solve these three big things along with it being comfortable uh it being cosmetically appealing and i just think that you all have done that so why don't we talk a little bit about your current generation device the uh the max um what did you learn from the boost to the max what you know what are the big things that stand out in your mind with the max uh and where does this thing go from here without giving any detail into like your product roadmap i mean 
clearly you've now done three iterations of products. Um, and I think each one's been a pretty big leap forward in, in terms of what's changed from the previous generation. Uh, and so I'm just curious to kind of hear from you what has transpired between two and three, and then, you know, what things are looking like in your mind right now with like, at least what would be the kind of goal with future generation devices? Yeah, so um, we got a really passionate team. They work really hard on these these devices. The hours that the team puts in is really crazy, but they're really they're, they're just very dedicated people who are just genuinely interested in in doing this sort of thing. So uh, the thing we realised early was that, uh, and this was even during when we were designing IQ Buds, um, we, we realised that ANC was going to become uh, prevalent and standard, uh, and the reason why. Um, that was going to happen uh, is because uh, hearable devices had batteries and microphones and speakers already. So in, in the past, uh, headsets, you know, have a speaker and they might have a microphone, uh, but they didn't have a battery. They didn't have any power and the 3.5 millimeter jack just couldn't power anything. And that meant if you wanted to do anything with ANC, you had to add a battery and you had to add electronics and you had to add extra microphones on the earbud and that meant the cost was going to go up so much uh, but what we what we noticed early was that okay hearables already have all that you need it anyway so ANC is going to become very much standard in these products and a must-have it's going to become a hygiene factor um, so we we started working on that really early and at that time no one had done a uh, ANC earbud no one had even no one had built that before uh, so we, we started working on the acoustics for that. That was a, a very difficult problem to solve. And we learned a lot about how to design those things. Uh, and we had to make quite radical kind of acoustical design changes. So we moved from a balanced armature to a large dynamic driver. Uh, we had to vent uh, the earbuds and try and produce a really consistent uh, transfer function through the ear. And um, we had to build in a lot of ANC circuitry as well. Uh, so that was one of the big upgrades that, that we worked on from Boost to Max. And, and ANC is a real magic, magic technology for hearables because not only does it provide a, a great feature in reducing noise, and you've never asked anyone, do you want more noise in your life? And no one's ever answered yes to that, right? So uh, that, that was something that was really important, just getting, you know, reducing background noise really played into um, what the customer wanted. Uh, but ANC also, especially feedback ANC, has a really nice property that it reduces occlusion. And our products are always been uh, talking and listening products. So a lot of hearables are listening, right? They're 95% listening. But our, our products are talking and listening. And occlusion really affects the user experience when, when you do talk. Uh, so we, we worked really hard on that ANC technology and and put that put that into the product, and I think um, I think the product really shines from from having that ANC built in there. It's it's a nice experience, and uh, we get great feedback on the, on that all the time. Um, the other the other thing the company worked on was a, a TV accessory. So we don't we don't talk about that a lot, but uh, a lot of people with hearing issues uh, in the home uh, find it find it difficult to watch TV. And believe it or not, TV is a social activity um, and you may not you may not realize that but most tv watching is done with more than one person it's, it's done with others 
uh, and it's very much social. But if you have a hearing challenge, uh, it can really ruin the enjoyment of TV for you. And, and TV is a huge pastime in, in America and all over the world. Um, so we, we built a, a TV accessory for our products as well. And we put a lot of energy into that. A lot of people maybe just don't, don't put so much into their accessories, but we put a lot of work into that one and it allowed you to kind of connect and have your own personal volume control to hear the TV uh, in, a, in a consumer product. And that was something folks really hadn't done before. Um, not in the way we did it. And it also fixed like the pairing experience. So Bluetooth's really hard to pair and connect and switch between devices. So we worked really hard on making that extremely, extremely seamless. So they were, they were the things we worked on in the next, next product generations. And they really was designed to tackle um, other types of hearing and provide solutions for, for different people with, with different types of hearing situations. And that's, that's how we see some things in the future as well. I have to say, in listening to everything you described, I mean, one thing really jumped out at me, and that is how well New Hearer anticipated trends that would become popular. And if you look at the latest Qualcomm State of Play report and Future Sources' latest uh, Hearables report, uh, both uh, we talked about in a podcast just released with uh, Dave and I, um, you see in those last two reports, hearing enhancement being a real popular ask going forward. State of Play had 40% of people wanting hearing enhancement, and the Future Source supported 60% of people wanting hearing enhancement, which is something that you obviously anticipated by some years. And the same thing's true of ANC now. They both call out ANC as being, you know, rising stars in the hearable world right now. And, you know, you had ANC a couple of years ago too. And there's another aspect about ANC, which I think fits really well with a new hearer value proposition, and that is when you listen in a noisy environment with ANC, you'll actually turn the music level down. Uh, I, I've got, I've read two studies, and they're actually some years old, but they're still valid, that people will listen to music at about 13 dB above the noise level. So if you're on the metro, for example, and you want to drown out the sound of the train, you will crank the volume up. But if you have A and C running, you'll listen at much lower and safer levels. It kind of turns the whole listening with earbuds uh, uh, proposition on its head because how many parents tell their kids you're going to ruin your ears listening with your earbuds all the time? Well, if you arm your child or you know someone else with a noise-canceling earbud, chances are they're going to listen at safer levels and actually preserve their hearing more than damage it. So I really like, from that point of view, the increasing popularity of ANC, which is obviously something you anticipated as well. You know, you, you're right about that. And some people market ANC as being immersive, right? So they talk about immersive sound. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, it's that masking effect of the human auditory system. So people will turn things up louder until they can hear it clearly. Um, which means if, if you have an open open hearing device, you, you're going to make sounds very loud till you can hear it um, how you want to. So you're absolutely right, Andy. It's a, it's a huge, huge aspect of ANC, just providing the ability to hear all the detail in your sound at a much, at a much lower level. And it, ANC as well, I'm, I'm just amazed it's never really become prevalent in hearing devices, would be one of the first hearing devices with ANC and 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 you know, hearing built in. Uh, and it just seems like such a perfect fit because 
the first place people uh, have challenges with hearing is in noise, right? So this is where people first, always first start to notice they have hearing challenges is when, when it's noisy, right? So it becomes more difficult to hear then. Uh, and why, why people haven't connected that until now with ANC and building ANC technologies in with your hearing technologies is, is I think it's a bit of a miss, but it's definitely something, uh, yeah, something that is really a, a kind of a marriage made in heaven, noise cancelling and hearing, hearing enhancement. They should, they are, they go together. Yeah, no, this is actually really interesting because one of the Holy Grails has always been, uh, you know, speech and noise, better speech and noise, understanding yeah. that that's always been, I think, probably one of the most heavily cited um, pain points that still exists. That's traditionally been a big pain point for um, all kinds of different, you know, people that have been using some type of hearing solution. And so I'm curious, like, again, I don't want you to have to spill the beans on like what the, the product roadmap looks like, but what exists today that can be, you know, like, I never really considered ANC until you just were saying that, like, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, are there other sort of tools at our disposable here in 2021 that now uh, maybe exist in wide prevalence or, or they've just matured as a technology to become more feasible. Um, how ultimately do you think we're going to solve speech and noise? Yeah, Broadly question. speaking, <laughs> or what, or what ways can we, can we treat speech and noise that we hadn't been able to previously that have only recently become enabled? I th I'm, I'm hoping there's just been going to become a lot more acceptance of wearing devices and wearing devices that are real visible, like our, our types of products uh, in, in noise environments and in social situations and with, with people around you. And you see that a lot on your commute. So we, we have a, you know, really big public transport system here and a lot of people wear, you know, devices on their ears when they're commuting, but um, it, it, we really want that to become acceptable when you're conversing and communi communicating as well, uh, so that there's um, something that you know we can we can use those technologies in them to really boost people's hearing capabilities. You 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 mentioned the commute that made me think of made me think of something and related to Bluetooth 5.2, which essentially is going to give via Bluetooth telecoil capability to hearing devices like Nuhiras. What do you see are the popular use cases for the broadcast capability of Bluetooth 5.2, especially in the in the hearing environment, but generally, how do you see that playing out? How do you see people actually using it in practice? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really fascinating question. Uh, and, and these things like telecoils have been around for a while, but, but not really deployed into consumer applications, only as like a, a hearing assistance kind of application. Uh, I think you're going to find um, that it may get installed in a lot of places as, as a kind of a replacement for the telecoil. So even like your telemachine and, and these sort of things might have these in them. And on a train, you might have uh, these Bluetooth 5.2 that covers, covers you know, the BLE audio that covers the whole, the whole carriage and you can kind of tune into the, tune into the conductor or whatever the next station is. Uh, so I think those type of audio announcements might be something that, kind of get projected to you into your device when it, that doesn't happen today whether that's a good or a bad thing maybe good maybe can be misused as well um so how how well that actually gets adopted and deployed 
um, will be a question. And I'm, I, I, I'd expect it to be at least 10, you know, seven to 10 year kind of turn adoption profile for that. I, I mean, we're, we're expecting that Bluetooth Classic is going to stay, um, you know, the dominant technology for quite a while, although um, we think LE will get adopted, but um, there's just such an install base of Bluetooth Classic that will take a while before you have um, LE really taking over. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're, we're really excited about the broadcast, broadcast use case um, of LE Audio. Um, there's also like sharing use cases and things like that. But I think broadcast might be the one you find that's most uh, kind of most popular and most maybe the most impact to your day-to-day life, you know. Totally. Well, as we sort of wrap up here, um, let's just quickly go around. Uh, Alan, why don't you share with us not only where we can learn more about Nuhera and all that, but what should we be on the lookout here in 2021? It's only February. So I'm curious. Um, again, I don't want you to have to share anything that's on the roadmap or anything that you can't share quite yet. I know that you just had the uh, the collaboration with HP. Um, I saw some images of that. Really, really cool. I'm blown away, honestly, that uh, th- this particular device. And um, I just think it's such a cool use case too, of it being really tailored around using it with their HP laptops and, um, you know, syncing in with, you know, in a, in a day and age where there's just so many Zoom calls and all kinds of different interfacing with your computer, it just seems to make sense that you have a dedicated pair of earbuds for that. And it's cool to see, you know, your technology with the hearing enhancement, um, in there and in the way that it all looks. So I'll be sure to link that in the show notes, but um, let's just quickly go around. Alan, what is 2021 going to look like from New Hera? And then where can we go to learn more about everything that's new, you know, New Hera related right now? Yeah, I think, I think the best place is a, is a website. We've got a really great website there that, that kind of showcases the products, but also showcases a lot of our customers. And you can really learn from from our customers there on the on the website and what they say and where they've used our products, some of the ways people have used the devices has just really blown up, blown us away. And and people have found them useful for all sorts of different things. Um, so you'll see some really amazing testimonials and, and that sort of thing on the website. So that's that's what to look out for. Um, we've always had a strong history of innovation in the company, and I think you can look to see that continue. Uh, we're, we're I'd say we're stronger than ever uh, in, in that area and. I think we've we've always tried to upgrade our products with with new software and, and new software layers. Our app is so uh, integral to the whole product offering uh, that um, I think I think you can look to a lot of great improvements for those who have already bought our products um, uh, d- down the line. So they're going to see some really nice um, updates and that sort of thing this year. Awesome. And Andy, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, it really struck me over the course of this conversation how very similar our two companies are. I mean, Knowles is 70 years older than Nuhira, but our founder, Hugh Knowles, started a company on the basis of putting better hearing correction in more people's ears. I mean, he always wanted uh, hearing assistance and hearing correction to be, you know, broadly based with nobody left behind. And that's exactly what Nuhira is trying to do. And so even for a long time, I gained an appreciation or years before I got hearing aids myself, working in the environment of Knowles gave me an appreciation for what it means to have hearing loss and what it means to have uncorrected hearing loss and the importance of continued innovation in that space. And so, you know, we're really traveling in in the same circles and because 
To me, anything that gets hearing enhancement and improves the lifestyle of more people, regardless of background or economic status or hearing loss level is a very good thing. And so I, I really, my hat uh, gets tipped uh, to Nuhira for uh, being successful in carrying that forward and making hearing correction available to more people. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I would just say that um, I think it's really fascinating that you guys have lasted as long as you have. And not only that, but like you, like you said, you're as strong as you've ever been. Uh, I love a good success story. I love that you all were able to find solid product market fit. Um, and not only that, but also I think introduce new concepts to uh, to this market, to the hearing health market and say that there are different approaches that can be taken, um, you know, using different types of technology and just uh, attacking it from a different standpoint, I think is, is actually really refreshing. Um, so I'm cheering for you all. I think that it's an interesting product that you been developing and, and that like each iteration just keeps getting cooler and cooler. And I'm excited to see what comes next. Um, and, and I think that the future's bright for this particular facet of the market where it is attacking the people that are like Andy that, um, you know, Andy from four years before he got his hearing aids, when he recognized, yeah. okay, I probably need something, but he never really took the steps in order to, to do anything. And, and part of that might've just been that there wasn't a whole lot that was available to him that was suitable for that time. And I think that the more options that we provide people and the easier that they are to access and they're more affordable, um, I think that ultimately it's going to grow the market. I think it's, you can look to other industries like, you know, prescription lenses and cheaters and um, not to disparage your product or anything like that, but it fits on kind of that same side of the market for this, where it is something where it can be that entry point. It can be that first thing that people buy um, that gets them in the door, that gets them thinking about this. And, and that's been a big focus on this podcast, um, thinking through, you know, what are kind of the changes of, uh, of today and, and what's, you know, the next few years going to look like as this space continues to evolve. So I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us again to uh, lend your wisdom and your insight. You asked some great questions today. And Alan, obviously, thank you so much. Uh, really learned a lot from you. I think this has been an awesome conversation and awesome discussion. Thanks everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.